1: Man, it's always a joy to be back here, and uh, it's hard to explain that to maybe some of you guys who are just always here, I don't know, but um, man, it's refreshing. It's refreshing to see uh, some of you and and, uh, some of you guys I don't know, and you're still trying to figure out whether it's going to be refreshing for you, which I understand. Um, Well, man, I have a lot to cover this morning, and Brandon, are you going to kind of close us up at the end? And so... Uh, man, wasn't that encouraging what James was, was giving us this morning? Man, I'll tell you, and convicting. Uh, one of the things that I was uh, thinking on as, as he was going through his message was how Alan Shelby-like it was. Uh, have you guys ever listened to Alan Shelby preach? And he has like four outlines in one? That was what James was doing, right? You know, and, and at the end, then he throws us that last curveball at the very end, I'm like, wait, wait, wait what, what, what? I got to go back, and I'm trying to, like, so uh, if, if Alan Shelby did not give us, like, a handout, we'd all be, we, we'd be lost, right? And so, uh, I need to talk to James about that, because James was doing some Alan Shelby inception outlines within outlines, uh, but man, that was good stuff, that was good stuff, and it was challenging. Um, what Briscoe and I are going to be doing over the next few days, uh, there's a, a, a lot we're going to try to to hit and, and cover. Today, um, I want to talk about what creates a healthy Bible study. I believe that many of you in this room have participated in some aspect uh, Bible study, uh, and you know whether it's just with another person, even with your own family, uh, maybe uh, within the confines of uh, like your fellowship, your ministry. Um, but I'd like to speak to us about what create what 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 builds a um, healthy Bible city. Tomorrow, Brandon's going to be dealing with uh, the Discovery Bible Method, uh, and then I'll be closing up shop on Saturday talking about creation to Christ, from creation to Christ. And some of you guys are, are pretty well aware of these conversations, but hopefully in some way we will be able to challenge you and actually give you some some insight, give you some uh, some pointers, some tips that would be valuable for you, right? And so let's pray, and we will jump into our study this morning. Father, we thank you so much that, uh, God, you even desire to partner with us. Lord, it is clear that there is nothing in me except for your Holy Spirit that makes me qualified to even speak in front of this group of people, to speak after James, uh, to speak after Pastor Sam or even Pastor McCaig from last night. God, you know that. I know this as well, that, God, I don't deserve to be here standing here uh, in their presence and absolutely on behalf of you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd supersede. I pray that you'd give wisdom to not only myself, but to all of us here, that we would not only receive a good message, but that we would walk it out that we would have ability to walk out what we receive, to, to have ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to process, feet to walk out, hands to grasp on the truth that, God, you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray that that uh, I wouldn't get in the way, and I pray that we wouldn't get in the way this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Yeah, so today I'd like to talk... and and hopefully for not too much longer, but about five keys. Five keys to a healthy Bible study. Small group Bible studies have occupied a rather large part of my life. I've been in many types of Bible studies, and I'm sure Brandon and I, we've probably joked and ridiculed and laughed about our own history. And and probably if I just made this like testimony hour, We'd all be crying by the time we're over with this hour of just all the awkward moments in Bible study, of all the hilarious moments, of all the moments where you're just bawling to where you can't bawl anymore. Um, Every emotion, right? Uh, And so, you know, that that could be the case. And I'll just give you some some examples of what I've been a part of. I've been in—Pastor Fife was was mentioning it earlier, some of the things that we did when we first were were growing up in the ministry— I've been in invite-only Bible studies, right, where it's like, you know, the, the first thing that you do with those invite-only Bible studies is, right, you don't talk about Bible study, you know. Uh, I've been in Bible studies where you will get kicked out of Bible study uh, if you don't bring a study. And, you know, like, talk about the fear of God, right, or man, you know, we don't know. Uh, it's yet to be determined. Uh, the secret society Bible studies are very much like the, the invite-only uh, we did that in high school. James was a part of that, I believe. And, and um, we didn't tell anyone. We didn't even tell the pastor or the counselors, you know, because we were going to get about the book. We didn't care who knew about it. We are going to do it. But it was like this secret society, right? And like the first rule of Bible studies, you don't talk about Bible study, right? And Thankfully, we didn't know what the word Gnostic meant at that time. Uh, but Lord help the suckers on the outside looking in, right? I've been in Bible studies where, Uh, It was all about performance, you know? And man, you better bring it. You better bring it. Uh, We always know what happened to those Bible studies, right? I've been in in Bible studies where you've been assigned groups. You know, the church is so desperate to have something happen, and so like, we got to do Bible studies. That's what the latest, you know, Christianity Today website thing said. And so we're going to do Bible studies, and you're going to be with this guy, and where do you live? You're with this guy. And so we were a part of an assigned Bible study at one point, I remember one time this is when I'm actually a grown adult, so you might want to check out after a while but uh, I remember one time going to this Bible study where I literally I was sitting on the couch with a friend of mine and uh, it was like I'm, I'm like maybe 20 years old okay and uh, we're having cookies and, and, and milk I think at the end and that comes at the end and uh, and, like, it was a married couple, and, and uh, God bless them. They were trying to do the best they could. But, you know, I'm with another 21-year-old, and, and uh, we're doing our Bible study. But at the end, it's like, okay, now we're going to have brownies and milk afterwards. And it was just, you know, we're just going like, ooh. There was one point in this Bible study, and, man, I'm so immature. I literally, I am not lying, I pulled a pillow over my face slowly because I didn't know if I was going to cry or laugh. I'm like, I'm in the Bible study. This is in a person's living room. So you just get ready. If you don't know me already, you realize now that I'm a very immature person. And I just, I just, <laughs> just I did. I, I was like, I can't do this. So I just put a pillow over my face in the room. There's like eight of us there. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I've led Bible studies where I critiqued everyone's message. Uh, <laughs> Why God didn't at this point just say, okay, well, you're done. <laughs> you know, like, zip, <laughs> you're done. Uh, you know, Enoch was raptured in Genesis 5, 24, you know. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. My verse would be, and Dan critiqued people. And God was, well, he was just done, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, so many times in my life I've been a part of things where God should have just been like, bro, I I just can't. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Up into heaven, you know? <laughs> and he's like, listen, I love you, you're my son, but wow, you know. I've done that. I've been that guy, okay? You can ask Eric Phillips about these moments. Was that Dell laughing? Yes. Dell, you didn't get that time. You didn't get that time. You were Yes. <laughs> Well, praise the Lord. It did you well. (laughs) Anyway, I've been in the sharing is caring groups. It's literally a Christian group therapy session. After every person shares, you may have 10 minutes to study the actual Bible. You're there for like two hours and everyone's talking, and then at the end it's like, well, okay, I guess we should study the Bible now, or not. Because Sister uh, Sarah man, she's bringing the goods, right? And she's just weeping and crying. And man, you know, maybe we just need to listen to Sarah. I don't know. Um, So I've been a part of the sharing is caring groups. Let's not forget the church hopping, not submitted guy who tries to hijack the night Bible study. Dale knows about this guy. um, Where he gives everyone his advice, pontificating endlessly, only to never see the guy ever again at the next meeting. And so with all that said, you know, and I'm, I'm giving you like just the, the top of, of the goofiest of experiences I've had in Bible study. With all that said, you'd think a guy like me would probably give up on Bible studies altogether. Like, yep, not worth it. This is a joke. But that's not, that's not the case. Uh, despite all the weirdness, despite all the, the, the oddities that have happened and can exist in Bible studies, studying the Bible... Studying the Bible with other believers and studying the Bible with people who don't know Jesus Christ is one of the greatest gifts you'll ever be given in your life. And so I'll take the goofballs, I'll take the idiots, I'll take the, the people who, who are are, you know, half crazy and saying this and that. I'll take it because I'm telling you. One of the greatest gifts that we can ever have as Christians is to share God's word with someone else, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and likewise with people that don't know the Lord. And so this is a gift from God. It's such an awesome privilege to open up the word together, to speak out, to cry out to God the Father together, to grow in love and respect of one another together to look for ways to seek out the lost together, that we are this band of brothers, that we are this this, this small group of people that, that, yeah, they represent maybe the larger church here, but but more importantly, we represent the kingdom of God. Man, it's it's such a wonderful thing to be a part of that. And man, it's great to hear Pastor Sam or it's great to hear your, your senior pastor preach on a regular basis. It's great to be a part of a ministry fellowship and hear your pastor over your fellow. Man, but there's just something... There's something dynamic about you, you cooking the, the meal, right? Not just, not just having bread given to you, but where you have to get in the kitchen. You have to start putting some ingredients together. And then, you know what? Sometimes when you, when you make that meal and you're like, hey, guys, enjoy, everyone's like, uh, that was great, you know, with the napkin. <laughs> Thank you, right? Sometimes it's like that, and that's okay. And so while I'm no expert, what I have learned is that a successful Bible study has less to do with methodology. And this is not to suggest anything against even what what Brandon's going to talk about on on, uh, uh, Friday or even what I'm going to talk about on Saturday. But I'll say this. More than a methodology, a healthy and successful Bible study has more to do with an expectation. What is the expectation that we have when we go into Bible studies? It was two years ago... I was flying home from India, and I was with Brian Bustos, Chris Best, Alvaro Briones, and Seth Harper. Is anyone in here right now, or are they in other rooms? Seth is with us. (laughs) Sorry, Seth. Um, And uh, we're we're in a 10-hour layover in this beautiful airport. This airport is just exquisite. Mumbai Airport is one of the most beautiful airports I've ever been in. And we're, we're in a 10-hour layover. We're at the end. We're wanting to go home now. It's been 14 days. We're exhausted. Lying on the ground in the corner of this airport cafe, Seth Harper is sick as can be. At this point, he may die on us. We don't know. We don't. It hasn't yet been determined. Um, and, and then we're like, well, he's sleeping. Okay, we're good. <laughs> I don't think you remember any of this, Seth. You were in... La La Land. You were somewhere hurting. Um, Pastor Best and Alvera were getting a few things done. I think they found some Wi Fi that they could connect to. And Brian Bustos and I, we went on a walk, which was kind of really just we just started walking, you know, in a circle because you're at the airport, right? But so we went on a walk, and you know, usually at the end of a of a mission trip, what do you do? You you kind of what worked, what didn't work, how was this? You kind of do a little debriefing, and we were, we, were, we had ten hours. And so we were talking, and, and what happened is we had a great conversation, but we also began to speak about ministry back home. And in particular, we, we began talking about what a successful Bible study looks like. There you are. I didn't see you. Um, you remember this. And uh, so we're walking, and we're talking about ministry and Bible study, and out of our conversation while we're talking, uh, and I don't know if you remember this or not, I, I pull up my phone, I, I just started, I wrote five words down. From that conversation just five words and those words were obedience transparency humility readiness and edification once again those words were obedience transparency humility readiness and edification as we began flying back to paris I couldn't help, but man, after that conversation, my mind, as exhausted as I was, my mind just started racing. I couldn't stop thinking about this conversation about what, what a strong, healthy Bible study would be like, and I pulled out my phone again, and I continued to type, and so what I'd like to share with you today is based upon this conversation and based upon other things that have kind of molded around in my head, and it regards these five words. So number one, I'd like to get into it. Number one is Obedience healthy Bible studies begin with obedience. They begin with obedience. And, and man, if there's a phrase that I could give you for this first point, it would be this. If you want to lead, facilitate, be a part of a healthy Bible study, you have to get these words down. Obedience over everything else. It has to be, if, if wherever you are, whether it is with a lost person, whether it is with a a group of believers where you are uh, equipping each other in the the scriptures in some manner, whether it's it's whatever capacity, the number one thing that has to be on our radar is that we are going to obey the word of God. And this has to be... You can't affect other people in the sense that you can't control them. You can't make people obey the word. But this has to be the number one agenda item is that by God's grace, we will obey him. We will obey what we read in his scriptures. This must be our top and highest priority when we get in the word over any other agenda. And guys, like I've said before, I've been in a lot of Bible studies that have had a lot of different agenda items. And we've been trying to accomplish a lot of things in these Bible studies. But I'll tell you this, if you can please hear me now. Number one the top of the list of everything that you're going to accomplish. It has to be that we will choose to obey the Word of God. Our obedience to the Scriptures must be the highest pronouncement. It cannot be hidden or understated. With excitement, we should always collectively with the group be racing to that finish. Do you guys get that? I think so often Bible studies can race to a certain finish, and we can arrive there, and it can be exciting, and it can be fun and enjoyable, but it has nothing to do with you or me making a decision to say, I will, God. I'll obey you. We could, the race can be like eschatology. The race can be this theory. The race could be, honestly, not even the Bible. It could be a book that we're reading about the Bible. And it could be like, well, what did you think about what so-and-so said and all these things? And man, that's cool and all, but here's the deal. If you want to have a healthy Bible study, if you want to have the foundation for a healthy Bible study, it must be that whatever topic we're discussing, that today we are as a group of people, or you as the facilitator, you're going to lead this in some manner, we're going to obey God. That might sound super simple, and that might sound really like, just like, isn't that obvious? No, no. It's not obvious because I've been in too many Bible studies and I've left too many Bible studies where we had a good time together and we all pontificated on all the things that we know about God and yet nothing was resolved in our heart to where we actually chose to say, I will, I do. It says it, it's settled. And so, no, I don't believe this is common knowledge. So with excitement, how do we, as we enter into a Bible study, which can be sometimes even tiring if we do it on a regular basis, how can we enter into a Bible study as we've spent time with God, right, and as our group has spent time with God to say, God, if there's one thing that's going to happen today, we're going to race to that end. We're going to get to that place, and that place is that we will do what His Word says. Healthy Bible studies begin with obedience. We encourage one another to continue in simple and growing obedience to the precepts as found in God's Word. So our pursuit, and this is another one, guys, and I I pray that you can, can hold on to this. This is still point one, but our pursuit does not begin with a fawning for knowledge, nor to seek out some hidden truth. Our pursuit begins by putting on virtue, 1 Peter uh, 1, 5 through 7. In the Scriptures, the word virtue is connected to power, to action, and high character. When I consider the actionable nature of the word virtue, I think of a person who is willing to say yes to the Lord, yes to Him. Living a life that simply agrees with God... And is demonstrative of his word. With, with virtue, when virtue came out of Christ, and we see the different examples of virtue through the scriptures, what we see is, is the underlying nature of that is someone that's completely willing to be submitted to the power of God in their life. And so I think of this person who's willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to agree with you, Lord. Whatever you say, God, I'm in. Your word says it, It's settled. The words and behavior of their person, of the individual here, affirm the commands of God. When God gives direction, when he gives direction to you, the virtuous person says, yes, sir. Not the knowledgeable person. The knowledgeable person has just the the ability to know. But the virtuous person, before they even have the understanding of the knowledge, add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue what? Knowledge. Before knowledge is even ascribed, we begin with virtue. The virtuous person says, yes, sir. They may not have all the information. You may not know the Bible like your pastor or like your leader or like your fellowship pastor or whatever. You may not know the Bible like all these. You may not have the information, but what you do know, you're willing to obey it. I want to be a part of that Bible study. Because if you're a part of that Bible study, it will not be a small little Bible study for long. And it won't be just this Bible study where it's just Christians that get together every two weeks. It will not be that. I'm not here to speak today about the different ways in which we can bring the loss into our Bible studies. We're going to talk about that in more detail as we move along this week. But I'm telling you this, if you as a believer choose, and guys, listen, we make this so complicated so many times. We try to come up with all these great evangelistic tools and all these things for for how to make you better at evangelizing. Listen, Obey God. Just obey Him. Just when His word tells you something, do it. and if you do that, guess what it's going to do. It's going to reinforce you in you, a person who desires to give the gospel, to share what's been given to you. Well, this was given to me. I need to give it out. Right? To others. James 1: 22 through25. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, I found truth, I heard truth, I obey truth. Right, And we continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but also a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Oh, wow. You guys know that verse. I'm not giving you a verse that you haven't read before. But it should be a reminder. It should be a reminder. In this, the personal application of truth the personal application of truth becomes the most important endeavor. Not how deep the truth is, not how profound the truth is, not how weird the truth is, not how not how I never heard that before truth is. No, the personal application of that truth becomes the most important endeavor. And yet what's most important or what's, what's interesting is that in many groups... In many groups that I've been a part of and I've participated in, we would rather chase after some deep doctrinal or prophetic understanding of a text in an attempt, hear me, to avoid personal application. Am I wrong? Someone brings something and I'm telling you, man, it is fire. Maybe because you haven't heard it before, right? That sounds like a Gnostic, Right? I've never heard that before. Tell me more. Now, it might be right, truthful doctrine, but do you guys see how we can become infatuated with just knowledge and knowing more about the Scriptures? Man, I pray you do have that heart. But do you guys see how the end result of that can be problematic? If the end result of that is knowledge or the attaining of knowledge and someone brings a word, it might not have an effect on me, but man, it was so cool. Do you guys see how we can be kind of like, enamored by that especially when we go to churches that that, that preach the truth especially when you go to a church that is is doctrinally sound and is teaching every member to be a minister and every member to be a person in the book to where we're studying the scriptures and knowing the scriptures it can become intoxicating so what we do is we value we favor this deep doctrinal dive into the scriptures to avoid personal application now Maybe for some of you guys, you're asking the question, well, can't we have both? Absolutely. Absolutely. The problem is, is that for many of us, it doesn't happen. Well, Dan, are you trying to teach just that we're supposed to stay surface and SBC it, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and just really stay, you know, salvation message? No, man, I'm telling you, the Bible is as infinite and deep, and, 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 it's, and it should be. We should go down those pathways and trails that not many people have wandered down. Praise the Lord, it's It's infinite. But to what purpose? To what goal? Why are you trying to go down this little rabbit hole where it's just like, I don't know if anyone's been here before. I bet it's beautiful because it's the word of God, but to what purpose? Is it going to create a personal application to you to where you are going to change your life because you, i got to obey the Bible. i got to obey the word. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, And with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. I don't know about you, but verses like that, as I even read it right now, convict me. Verses like that convict me even right now as I'm speaking. What is our motivation? And we preach on Sundays, we preach on Tuesdays, we pray together, we do our Bible studies and discipleship, we go to D2, LFBI, we do our small groups, we do all the things, and we're doing everything that we're supposed to do, and we draw near to God with our mouths, but our hearts are far from Him. I've noticed at times we scoff at the personal or the devotional application as being the surface reading. We scoff at it. But in all actuality, if we truly and directly faced God's word, if we would face his word, we know that we would then be accountable to it. And upon this illumination, we would either be forced to change or choose to live in rebellion to his personal instruction for our lives. And so instead of us allowing God to speak to us, guys, I can't tell you how many times I read this book without a care of how God is speaking to me, just because I'm supposed to read it. I'm a Christian. Aren't we supposed to read the Bible every day? And so I read the Bible, and many times I study the Bible, and many times I teach the Bible without a care. God forgive me, and people forgive me, but I'm just telling you, I'm being honest, that this is the traps that we can fall into, is that we can enter into this setting to where we are studying the Bible, and yet we're not asking God to say, oh God, open your word, cut me. Show me who I am. Show me what what, what, what struggle uh, uh, that I need to overcome by your grace, by your person. And so we avoid that, that personal devotional application because, man, if I'm gonna give Brandon something, he already knows this. I gotta give him something good that he hasn't heard before. Do you guys see how problematic that is? Because here, what I what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to impress Brandon. I want to impress Larry. I want Sam to think that, man, he made a right choice in making me a pastor, right? I want to impress someone, right? Isn't that, isn't that crazy, though? When, 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 we, when we say it, we go, oh, that sounds really bad. It is bad. And so we avoid personal application or because, well, that's just, man, Dell, can, can't we bring something deeper? Let's go further. Let's go deeper. Let's really make it. And it's like, well. Del, what, what are you dealing with now? What am I dealing with now? Man, how do we, me and Del were in the same small group for, for a while, and we had, we had precious time together. But I'll tell you this, there were seasons where we would just geek out, but then there's also seasons where I was like, God is just pounding you. And those were the ones that, that God used in our lives and changed people's lives. And so we avoid this, this accountability to his word. Here's another warning but I'll state it as a positive. Plainly put, the Bible should change your life. It should change your life, but it's a warning. It's, it's, listen, it's not complicated, though. Here's the thing. I found that sometimes we use jargon like that too regularly. You know what I mean? We use, like, Christian jargon that we just use over and over again, and then it's impossible to keep up with that. Every two weeks or every Sunday that you come to church, the Bible should change your life. God should change your life. Is that a true statement? Of course. And we, when we use words like that, and, and yet what happens is the opposite result is met, in that instead of seeing slow, gradual growth, consistent, obedient change in the life of the believer, the Bible student retreats to academia because constant change every two weeks seems impossible or too daunting. And so you say, well, obedience is the number one thing, and the Bible should change your life. God should change your life. And yet, I don't know about you, but, but if you think about it in the context by which I think many of us think about that, isn't that exhausting? Every two weeks, go to Bible study, the Bible better change your life. And what I think most people think about is like, I'm going this way, and it's like, okay, we got to do something else we got to, and, and, oh, and, and Bible study. And it's like, what, how has God changed my life? And I'm telling you, this isn't a way to live. We don't live that way. And so when we say the Bible should change your life, it's not that, and sometimes we do need radical change, okay? Sometimes God is saying, stop now. You are in sin, turn around, repent now. There needs to be radical change today. And I'll tell you, God will say that. But as you accept that, as you submit to that, and as you walk in that, as you obey that, I'm telling you this, that the next two weeks might not be, stop that, now. It might be, keep going, keep going, keep walking. Do you guys see the problem with with the the whole mantra that we use of like, change, God wants to change your life, and we use it in kind of like this, this preacher voice to where, you know, you better be crying at the altar. Sometimes God needs to do that in your life. Then there's other times where it's just like, keep walking, keep obeying, keep that book in your life, keep it open, keep allowing him to speak to you, keep walking in that, change, keep changing, keep sharpening, keep being molded. You guys with me? And so sometimes I think because we're afraid of constant change, of constant pruning, because I think we have a wrong idea about it, that it's always this radical fireworks explosion. Okay, sometimes yes. Other times no. Other times it's, hey, let's keep walking. Let's keep obeying. What did you learn this time? Will you obey that? Did you learn this today? How about you obey that? I will, God. I will. What did you learn this week? Well, God, I learned this. Will you obey me? Yes, I will, God. I'll obey you. Do you guys see where we're going with this? You see, from the perspective of where it's just like constant radical change, you know, to muster that up every two, week, two weeks is not normal, and it's not healthy, nor does it emulate any real and steady relationship. I always like to use the example of, of me and my wife. If, if everything was w- with my wife was always like, you know, every two weeks it was like, ah, we got to move everything, we got to change everything. I wouldn't be married anymore, right? Uh, because that's not how a relationship works. Now, there are times, as God leads you, where it's going to be like, we have to stop this way of living. We're not raising our kids right, we're not, we're not speaking to each other right, we have to stop and we both make a decision, okay? We all understand that, those who are married, right? There's sometimes you have to go, no, not any longer, but not every two weeks, Right? At some point, we have to get on the same page. I like to say at some point, we have to get off the roller coaster. Roller coasters are fun for about two minutes, but I don't want to be on one for like three hours. Could you imagine? Have you guys ever thought that? We wait in line. We get like this mist like just spitting on us, you know, and we're like, oh, that feels so good. You know, there's like this mist all over us, you know, when it's hot. And we just wait in line like two hours, and then the, the ride's like two minutes, and you're like, that was so fun. Could you imagine if all of a sudden someone's like, four more hours, and you're just like, oh God, please help me off this thing, right? <laughs> and you're just like, blah, blah. You know, you're just like <laughs> <laughs> roller coasters are great, man, they're fun, but I don't want to be on one forever. I'll tell you what, if my, if my marriage was a roller coaster, oh Lord, you know, <laughs> even so come quickly, <laughs> Lord Jesus, right? It's not though, because we're on the same page, because both of us have chosen to do what? Obey him. To obey God. So the Bible study leaders, you must model what healthy obedience to the word of God is and likewise what it's not. Biblical change is possible and yes at times it is required that people make life altering decisions. But at some point we've got to get off the roller coaster. I believe simple daily and incremental change and obedience is possible in a Bible study. And a Bible study can help to accomplish this. What we're looking for is a willingness to apply what we've learned from the Bible directly to our lives. That's it, nothing more. Don't make it more sensational. Don't try to make it some, you know, Hollywood movie. What did the Bible say? Are you going to obey it? This is what, this is what God showed me in his word. Now you have a choice. Don't worry about all the other things that you don't understand right now. Just simply obey what God gave you, how he has revealed to you his word, one step at a time. Number two, number two. Transparency Transparency Healthy Bible studies will, be, will bring transparency So much of our Christian walk Especially with others Is lived on the surface Most of us are afraid to open up to others To let others in And so we not only keep others out But we keep God out as well Psalm 139, 23 It says, search me, O God And know my heart Try me and know my thoughts our Bible studies become when we don't allow ourselves to be transparent, and please hang with me, guys. I think some of you guys are already like, oh, he's getting all feelings-based and all this, and I don't know, man. You know, I had you with obedience, but now I don't know. Just hang with me for a second, okay? Our Bible studies can become regular, safe, and doctrinally sound, and our prayers are non-affecting. They are polished and proper, but powerless. We have a pseudo walk with God, but our intimate knowledge of Him as He is working in us is peripheral at best. And it looks more like a greatest hits album than anything with any real consistency or actual growth. To this I say, yeah, everyone knows and loves that song. Everyone knows that song. We all can sing it. But what is God doing in your life right now? What is he doing in your life? Where is the song that only you can sing? I don't know that song, Julie. What was that song again? It sounds beautiful. I don't think I can even sing it because I think it belongs to you. Where is the songs that only you can sing and will you sing it in these times with your friends and your family, with the lost? Will you say, this is a song that God gave me. I love the greatest hits and that's great and all, but listen, I want to hear a song that you wrote. I want to hear a song that God wrote in your life that was unique, that was pressing, that was now, that was hard, that was difficult. What is God doing right now in your life? No one else knows that song, and we need to hear it, because that was a song that God gave you. As this occurs, Bible study becomes a wonderful thing where you can share with others how God is working directly and honestly in your life. So then when we come together, avenues are created where the Word of God can shine specifically on current real situations. Notice once again that even though I'm, I'm beckoning us to be more transparent, it's transparent as the Word of God begins to shine its light on us. It's not that we just all, you know, each other just throw up on each other. My turn. Blah. And then you're like, ah, oh, that was so nice. My turn. Blah. right? No, what we're doing is we're sharing with each other what, right, where we're at, but how the Word of God is able to answer our dilemmas, answer our issues. And so I'm going to be transparent with you and hopefully you'll do the same with me. So how is the word of God directly and honestly working in you? So then when that happens though, we come together, avenues are created where the word of God can shine specifically. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a what? discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. and So then if that's the case, if we know we have a Bible that does that, why are we not allowing it to do that? If we got this, we got this powerful sword at our disposal and it says, it will cut you up so deep and it knows you back and forth, it knows you left and right, and yet we're going to just keep it on the shelf. And we're going to keep singing the same songs that we've always sung when God is like, man, I got a new one for you. I got a new one. It's for you, too. We're like, I'm good. I'm good. I like the, I like the oldies. And everyone does, don't we? To this end, the Bible actually, though, becomes noticeably effective. I'm hearing Brandon. and He's sharing. And he's, he's bearing his heart, right, to me. And he's showing me this is what the Word of God is telling me. And I'm here in a real life situation. I'm here in a real life example of what he's struggling with, how God is working, and how the Bible is answering it. And I'm going, this is real. Th- I've been to Bible studies before, but, but that's, what, what are you doing? And all, have you guys been to Bible studies like that? where all of a sudden the Word of God is being opened and someone all of a sudden says, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to get real on you. This is what the Word of God said, and this is what needs to happen in my life. And everyone just steps back for a second because everyone realizes, well, this is is becoming a holy place. That's where Bible study becomes effective. That's where it becomes to change us to the saved and the lost. When this occurs, the Scriptures become more than simply a rule book. They become life-giving. In Bible studies like these, where transparency is promoted, the, the group mutually sees how God and His Word can impact a life for real. Not just in principle. And this becomes noticeably powerful, and everyone understands who is present. Did you guys catch that? I think so much of, of what we try to do, especially at churches like ours, we, we try to preach biblical principles, right? We're not going to try to teach policies that aren't found in the Scriptures. We're going we're to teach from a biblical principle mindset. But sometimes when we get principle-based, we can become philosophically based, too, which is distant from a real thing that is happening in us, in our lives. Hope that made sense. And yet, I say all these things, but yet here's one more thing I want to say. It's very important to know, though, that even though, okay, number one, obedience, and I think that was pretty clear. Transparency, it's like, okay, I keep going. What, what, I'm understanding what you're saying. I understand why we need that. Here's a little bit of a warning at the end. It is still, yet, very important to know that vulnerability is not the goal. You need to know that. number. The way that we can have a healthy Bible study, right? We've already talked about obedience. Secondly, we talked about being transparent with one another, being a transparent leader, being a transparent participant, being transparent with one another. But vulnerability is not the goal. It is not the goal. It is simply one of the vehicles that brings us closer to the goal. I believe many times we can think, wow, what a terrific Bible study, because there was an emotional response. People were crying. Everyone was crying. All these things were happening. But this is an error on our behalf. To assume that a certain bit of an emotional response or emotionalism is the destination, to assume that, is an error. Emotionalism does not have the capacity to fix anything on its own. And it should not be left alone as a guide. Agency is required upon that emotional response. God gave you those, right? And when God begins to 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 prick your heart and to pierce it, and when you begin to respond in that manner, that is something that God gave you, but here's the thing, it can't stop there. It can't just stop with the crying, it can't just stop with the tears, it can't just stop with the weeping, it can't, it, that's not where it can end. That place where you're at cannot be the goal, it cannot be, and I'm telling you, I have been in Bible studies, and have, I've been victim of it myself, where I leave and I'm like, that was a great Bible study. And you know what, in a month, nothing changed. Nothing changed. Everyone was transparent. Everyone was, was vulnerable with one another, but we realized, or we, we, we failed to realize that vulnerability is not the goal. Guys, and it happens with guys just like it does with girls. And guys will be bawling just as much as girls are, and yes, and we all leave and we're like, wow, God was here. Maybe not. Maybe not. Man, did you see that? Everyone was having this great emotional response. and Man, God was doing a work. Maybe he was, but maybe he wasn't. Are you going to obey it? Vulnerability cannot be the goal. I've been in too many Bible studies where everyone's crying or every emotion that you can think of is present, and yet none of it is yielding the believer to a closer walk with God. It's akin to Esau seeking his birthright bitterly with tears. There's a nice show, but no actionable repentance towards God. Too often we can have a love affair with our emotions and it can feel good, but it may not accomplish much. Number three, healthy Bible studies will exhibit humility. Humility. Roosters crow for a good reason, right? Most commonly people hear roosters in the early morning as nature's alarm clock. But another important reason for this crowing is to claim territory and let other roosters in the area know that they are trespassing on his stomping grounds, right? Wake up! Wake up! Also, hey, I'm in charge. And so roosters like to show what what territory belongs to them, and I don't know about the ladies, but sometimes guys can be like this. They can be like these roosters in Bible study, just crowing about all the things that they know of the word. And strangely, they do this even when the opposite sex is not present. So I don't, I don't understand that, really. You know, like, you know, let me tell you, let me show you how awesome I am in the Bible. You know, it's like, you're, you're, I don't know, I'm not impressed, right? You know, um, I would think, I mean, I'm, I've been married for a long time, but I think for the single guys, the best time to do that would be in front of the ladies, you know, like, let me show you a few things about the Bible. But I don't know guys are weird, right? So we're like, let me show you how awesome I am. And the other guy's like, me too. And, uh, we're all like, you know, just so amazing with the word of God. and, and uh, I, you know, This is the time, you know, and, and this is the time where, like, you know, my wife would come in and be like, you know. <laughs> like, have fun. You know? I'm going to bed. And then like 10 minutes later, I made a terrible mistake, right? What was I doing? I, I need to be with her, right? Not, my, not with these dudes. Oh, okay, we're awesome, right? I don't want that, man. Anyway, roosters crow for a lot of reasons, right? And all so often, I'm switching metaphors right now, uh, we do it to mark territory, right? We do it to mark our territory like a dog. Ephesians two eight nine 9, it reminds us, right? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And so whatever you've learned in the book, whatever you know, it's only by the grace of God on your life. Do you guys know that? No matter what you've learned, no matter what you've studied, no matter what you've uh, assessed, it's honestly, if you, let's be honest, it's only God's grace. And I'm sorry if that is like a little bit of a bummer. I, I went to school for this, and I went to four years of LFBI, and it's like, eh, that's the grace of God on your life. It's all grace, guys. It's just God's grace on your life. Philippians 1, 6 expounds on this. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Not you, him. He will. Galatians two twenty should make things painfully obvious that your life is not your own. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Simply put, there is no room for bragging in the kingdom of God. Healthy Bible studies can't afford this type of show-off behavior because typically it breeds a culture of one-upmanship. And this is toxic and must be checked at the door. Healthy and may I even say mature Bible studies are not about what you know of the Bible, but rather that you are known of God. If you want to have a healthy Bible study, it is not about all the things that you know of God, but that you and we can understand that, guys, listen, we're known of him. That creates a humble spirit. Out of this mindset, the focus realigns to a merciful God who knows you and loves you, that God is merciful on behalf of you. From this thankful vantage point, I am reminded of my accountability to a loving and just creator who has expectations for my life. Get this down. When you start entering from that place, when you start understanding that that, that, that in the end, I serve a merciful God. Now, knowing a bunch of stuff in front of an all-knowing God doesn't sound that impressive, does it? Like, let me tell you all the things I know about the Bible. Let me talk about dispensationalism. And I have such an understanding of the beasts and, you know, the beasts of the sea and the beasts of the earth. And, and I'm going to show you, like, the, the woes and, and, you know, the vials. And I'm going to tell you all these things about Revelation and you're going to be so impressed. Now, when you really have a right context as to who God is and who you are, now knowing a bunch of stuff in the presence of an all-knowing God, doesn't sound that impressive, does it? But humbling myself with what I do know is of the greatest concern. In addition, as it relates to humility, I've found that it's easier to tell other people what's wrong with their lives, but it's another thing to humbly walk with them, showing how they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, 2 Timothy two twenty-six. It's easier to be a critic In Bible study it's easy to point out afterwards and we text our friends afterwards when so-and-so shows up and we talk about all the problems that they have it's easier to do those things it's easier to point out as the perfect spectator all the flaws of everyone around you like the fan who's never played the game but is soundly available for every critique the judging Bible study or church member does little to affect change and a lot to disrupt unity. The person who is only willing to show up to Bible study just to judge others, just to be a critic who's critical of everyone in their presence, you're going to do little to affect godly change, but you'll do a lot to disrupt the unity. Speaking of the critic, in the flesh, it is strangely satisfying to see other people fall. Am I I the only one? It is strangely satisfying to see other people fall. All along we say, I knew it. I knew it, or I saw this coming a mile away. To this, I want to say this. Well, then why didn't you, at mile marker number one, begin running to help them? I saw this a mile away. Then what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You had such great insight. You had such great wisdom. You had such great discernment. Oh, I could see this a mile away. Then why didn't you get your running shoes on? Why didn't you with desperation start chasing after him? Proud. Arrogant. You've forgotten that you also are standing in the presence of a holy God. And you're a speck. And only because God has covered you by the blood of Jesus Christ does he even look at you and accept you. I saw that a mile away. You've become a critic. You're no longer humbling yourself in the presence of God. Lord, please help us from this proud, short-sighted, and judgmental mindset. Guys, if there's one thing, and I'll tell you this, if there's one thing, I know that there's many, but if there's one thing that has brought about humility in my life, you guys, what is it? What's the secret sauce? It's the ministry. The longer I do this, the longer I'm in the ministry, the more I realize I'm just the biggest idiot in the room. Everything I do, I hear James speaking, and all it is is just waves of conviction on my life. And I just think, God, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to talk. I don't deserve to pastor. I don't deserve to, to, to disciple. I don't deserve to cancel. I'm just like, I'm, God, I'm, I'm useless for you. And I go, But God, would you please keep using me? I I'm a mess. And, I, and, and, and I, I'm not trying to give some faux humility. Um, this is a reality. we got to get out of this judgmental mindset. we got to get out of this, 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 this way of living. And I'll tell you this, the people who have been in the ministry the longest, if they're doing it right, find themselves to be the most humble. And you know the people I'm talking about. Because I'm telling you what, the ministry, it'll beat the life out of you if you do it right. And you'll just be a dead person walking because God has given you the strength to continue walking. The ministry of Done Right will beat the will, will beat the life out of we going to say something else. We'll beat the life out of you, right? It'll beat it all out of you. There'll be nothing left of you. And God will say, now I can use you. And you're just, you're just completely spent. And God says, Well, man, I could use that. You have no power of your own? God, I got nothing. I'm an idiot. What am I supposed to do? He goes, So you have no confidence in your flesh? God, you know me. Look at me. I can't speak. I can't teach. I don't have discernment. I can't counsel. You saw what happened last week. You saw what I did to this person when I counseled this person or this marriage. God, I'm, I'm an absolute idiot. And he goes, Well, I could use that. I could use you. I'm not talking about some faux humility. I'm talking about like where God is getting in your life and he's showing you like you can't do it. So stop being a critic, stop judging others. Get involved in the ministry. See how hard it is. The reason why humility comes from the ministry is you realize over and over again is that you can't do it. I can't do it. No matter how hard I try, I can't do it. I'm always brought back to the place where I realize I need the Lord. I'm incapable of, my, of, of doing it on my own. Thus, being a doer of the word brings humility, not because of my doing, but in the place of that doing, I see my inability. I just can't do it. I see my inability, and I am reminded once again that I need the Lord. In this place, I've got no time to be a critic. Isn't that right? Isn't it right when you just get so, now we can be critics. I know I'm, we've talked a lot about being a critic. <laughs> we really haven't. We have. No, but man, there's, there's been conversations that Brandon and I have had, and we've definitely been, it's just been like, blah, 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 this is dumb and not, you know. And you know what? When we're in the ministry, we don't have time for that. Man, life's hard, isn't it? Sometimes life's hard. And it's like, we got to keep going. Love you, brother. I'm praying for you. I got this. And you're like, I know, me too. Pray for me. Right? I'm too busy for that junk. The ministry's got too much. I don't have time to be a critic. Man, there's too much stuff going on. Let's just get after it. So all I know is that I need to be submitted to the word of God and active in his work. Deuteronomy 31, 14. uh, But the word is very nigh unto thee. In thy mouth and in thy heart. What? that thou mayest do it. H- how can you do it? By having the word of God present in your life. First Chronicles twenty-eight twenty, And David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. The last thing I'd like to say about humility, especially as it relates to our personal time in the word or our time together in Bible study is found in 1 Samuel 319 and samuel is said to have let none of god's word fall to the ground this is a critical step to having a healthy small group or healthy personal bible study when we let the words of god fall to the ground it shows a lack of care for their significance likewise when every word is measured and found to be priceless we're placing ourselves in the wonderful place of humility and majesty I find myself, when I, when I hold God's word to a high degree, I find myself having to place myself in a place of humility, but I'm in yet in the presence of majesty. I'm in the presence of God's glorified book. Number four, healthy Bible studies require a readiness of mind. Acts 17, 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. A readiness of mind is a willing mind. And would to God we would, be, we would be individuals, we would have individuals in our Bible studies that possessed this character. Believers who are willing to participate, willing to dive in. People that are the lost, willing to dive in, willing to participate, willing to embrace the scriptures, willing to challenge their brothers and sisters in the Lord, willing to fight for what they believe in and willing to warn others of things unprofitable and harmful to the body. Do you guys follow that? We've talked about obedience. We've talked about transparency. We've talked about humility. All of those things seem seem, uh, 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 very obvious, but, but there's another part. You need someone, and you need people that are ready, that are willing, that have a readiness of heart and mind to be a part of the Scriptures. And guys, that's something you can pray for. God, make us prepared. Make us ready to hear your word. This readiness of mind is a mind of preparation and execution. In this instance, those who attend are not looking to be spectators. The Bible study is not just intended to have a bunch of spectators, but it's full of people who are eagerly hoping to enter the fray. And as leaders, you want to engage people at every level they have ability. So this should go without saying, but studying the Bible in the flesh is awful. awful. Isn't it? Am I the only one? Everyone's like, I love the Bible. Thank you, Del. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, me and Del, we're just the most carnal in the room. We know that, though. That's, that's you know, like the, the shocker of the century. You know, Del's like, yep, mate, chief. You know, uh, Studying the Bible in the flesh is awful, and yet we do it so often. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we? Why do we find ourselves to where we're always... You know, we have a half-hearted interest in the Bible. I know I'm supposed to do it. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Man, studying the Bible in the flesh is awful. So often we study the Bible or attend small group begrudgingly. Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Isn't that the case? And man, if this isn't the case for our Bible studies as well... What should be one of the sweetest moments of the week ends up smelling unsavory due to uninterested parties. Have you guys ever been a part of a Bible study where you know half the people are just mailing it in? How is that? Is that fun? It's awful. It's painful. And so you can't control other people, but I'm telling you this, be ready yourself. Have a readiness of mind. Have a willingness of mind to be obedient to the Scriptures, to be transparent with one another and God. And to be humble as you approach the word. Be ready, be willing, be prepared. Healthy Bible studies, they require willing minds. And so I want to look for people, and this is where we, we, we could talk about that person of peace, if you will. Sometimes you guys have heard that phrase, looking for a person of peace. When I'm, when I'm wanting to start a Bible study with, with someone, you know what I'm actually looking for? Is a willing person. Sometimes we're, we, we're taught, and man, I know, I know with, with Briscoe, with, with Kaya, man, you're motivating and, and, and people will all of a sudden go, okay, uh, you know, they'll jump through windows for it, man. And, and, you know, that's what pastors should be equipping people to do and challenging people to do. And yet, sometimes we get so discouraged because we keep searching for people and, and no one even cares, right? And man, I would say, be praying for people who want to care. Be praying for people who are, who are lost as can be, but they're going, man, your life's different not me, but I can show you what the Word of God says. Really? Yeah? Man, I'd be willing to go to the coffee shop with you, you can come to my house, whatever. We Man, I'd love to study the Bible with you, if you're interested. I'd love that. We, we chase closed doors all the time. Look for willing, interested people. Look for people like Ezra, who was called a ready scribe, who is always ready to write down the words of God. Number five. Number five. Healthy Bible studies are edifying. Now, I have a lot to cover here. I have three more pages, and I'm not going to get to all that. The word edify means to build up. One can think of the word edifice as well, which refers to a building. The word edify and all of its derivatives does not show up in the Old Testament. It does not show up in the Gospels either. The first time the word appears is in Acts 9.31. And every instance of the word is directed to the church age. That's an interesting thing to get down. To provide some context, right before this verse, we see that there was great persecution being waged against the early church. But in Acts 9.31, it says that following this time of great trial, that then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. What we see from this verse is that their ability to rest from the persecution gave them space to be edified. The space and time of reprieve, which is what a Bible study should be able to do and what it should be able to provide for others, made it possible for them to be built up. So what does this mean? It means that those times of rest from trial and problem are necessary for you to be edified and built up in the Lord. People are going through real problems. Does your Bible study provide rest? People are going through real issues. Does your Bible study provide rest for those who are weary? The next passage where we find the word edify is found in Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Okay, what's the point again? It's simply this. I can only be a person of edification when I stop focusing on myself and I begin to seek the welfare of others. As I submit to this passage, I become more interested in building others up than myself. Healthy Bible studies will breed a culture of edification. What does that look like? Stop thinking about yourself. Stop it. And start thinking about how you can build others up. In Romans 14, we find the context. It's all about eating meat that was served unto idols. There were some who had just accepted Christ as their Savior, and they couldn't justify eating meat that was served unto idols. While more mature believers knew that the idol was simply a carved piece of wood or stone, so they didn't have a problem buying what possibly could have been the cheaper meat. Romans 14:20 20 through 23 For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for what man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat Flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now if you weren't paying attention, you may have missed it. To be clear, edification is about seeking how to build someone else up, but it's not only that, edification is strongly tied to faith. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, we again see the word edify. And I'm trying to go as quickly as I can to give Brandon the time he needs. And I'm sorry, Brandon. Once again, it is regarding food served unto idols. In this passage, Paul is telling the church that true edification happens when we seek to build up others and not ourselves, choosing not to offend others as well. Why? Because this could shake up their foundation. But what is that foundation? And what are we building upon? You see, edification could not simply be the building up of ourselves or even of others. And I hope, I know I'm going fast, but I hope you are catching this. Edification cannot be just simply the building up of ourselves or even of others. Edification is about the building up of our faith. It's not about me getting stronger. It's not about me getting stronger, but that Christ is strong even in our weakness. Because let's be honest, the last thing that we really need is more of me built up. It's more of you built up. Again, for any building, it needs a strong foundation. That foundation must be faith. If anything else is built upon that, it will not last. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. So then the purpose of edification is quite specific to our faith being built up. And when someone says, man, you really edified me, brother, what that means biblically is not you comforted me, Or that I was necessarily encouraged. But in reality, that in edifying me, you built my faith in what the Lord has done. To prove this point, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Notice that those are two different words in the same verse. Comfort and edify are two different things. In this passage, Paul is speaking of the coming day of the Lord, preparing them for what was to come. So how is this passage a message of edification? Because even in the warning, our faith in God is enlarged. Not our personal faithfulness or our own growing spiritual ability, but our faith in what God will accomplish according to his word. Healthy Bible studies will encourage edification. I'm not building you up, Jake. It's not how great you can be. It's that as we are edified, what happens? The word of God becomes increased. Our faith in God's word is built up. We are edified, not because now I'm stronger. Man, Lord knows we don't need more of me. What what we need as weak Christians is more of the book. And so what edifies me is when someone brings the book and I'm going, what? Wow, that's God's word. That edifies me. That builds me up because my faith is being built up in the word of God. So what's the point? especially as it relates to small group Bible studies. Edification is a different function than exhortation and comfort. It has a different role, and we must be acquainted with it if we are going to have healthy, mature Bible studies. So then, as we study the Word of God together, we should not only be comforting those who are hurting, but also edifying them, building them up in the faith that God is enough. I have more passages, guys, but, man, we don't have time today because I'm already robbing from, from Brandon what he wants to say for the, as we close. we got some questions, though. We've some closing questions, and I just want to read those real fast. This is number one. Will you obey and encourage others to obey the specific instruction of God's word today? That's question number one. Will you obey God, and will you encourage others to obey the Lord? Number two. Will you be open and transparent with God and others, so the Word of God can be directly and specifically applied to their life and their circumstances. Number three, will you humbly approach God's Word, not as a critic but in submission and esteem others as better than yourself? Number four, will you have a willing mind to be a participant in your Bible study, not coming to the Word of God or your study in a begrudging manner? but with hope and optimism regarding the promises and people of God. And then lastly, number five. Will you choose to edify the body of Christ with the word of God so their faith in God is increased? I know I was flying past point number five. And I pray that you guys understand this and maybe you just need to do the study yourself. Study out the word edify. Study out the word edification. It has less to do with you being built up, more of you and more of your faith being built up, but more about where you are placing your faith. I am edified when God's word is increased in my life, and that's what a Bible study can do. As we study the word of God properly, it doesn't put more confidence in another person. It it gives me the ability to have more confidence in the word of God. When that happens, I'm edified, and so are you. Brandon, take over.
0: Um, so, so, why all this? Why is this so important? Because um, we're going to be talking about how to do Bible study evangelism, right? And so far, we haven't really talked a whole lot about evangelism, right? We've been talking about, you know, what makes for a good Bible study. Um, so, so, why all this? Because the character, uh, if the character of the Bible study is wrong, if the, if the character qualities that we need in a Bible study uh, aren't there, then how could the lost possibly experience the love of Christ? It's really simple. It's like if the, so if the, the culture and the environment of your Bible study and your philosophical approach to Bible study is low or it's wrong, then how can people come into the environment of that Bible study and actually see Christ beyond, I don't know, all of your fleshy, fleshly tendencies? You know all your old school, independent Baptist, you know quirks, your your pride, your arrogance, your your pompous attitude towards God's word, or your inability to apply what you're talking about to your own life. People see this, right? People, the lost will see this. They'll see it all over you, and they'll come in, and it'll be an affront to what God wants to do in their life. And so, what we're talking about is creating uh, Bible studies that have pr- proper character, so that when people enter in, when the lost enter into them. They can very clearly see that God is at work. Does that make sense? Um, so we know uh, that evangelism uh, is just the presentation of the gospel with the intent of seeing people converted from darkness to light. I think that's a fair definition, right? That, that evangelism is just an individual Christian's desire to, to present God's word, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection specifically, uh, and, and so that someone else who does not know Christ would find him, right? Um, and we can do this many different ways, can't we? We, we, we evangelize in many different methodologies. Uh, we talk about sometimes confrontational evangelism, where where we encounter a person on the street or in some particular setting. Um, you know, Will Mata is really good at confrontational evangelism. Larry Smith, there's per, uh, certain people that are very gifted with the ability to sit down next to someone on the plane and just like with, with no guile whatsoever or like they just start talking about Christ. Like, and it's so easy for them. And some people are really good at it, and we all should all be doing it. We should all be willing to con- to confront people with the gospel that we hardly know. And that's one approach. And it's a good approach. It's a valid approach. It's not the approach that we're talking about, though. There's relational evangelism, workplace evangelism, where there's people you're getting to know, family members, friends, classmates. And week after week, you get to know them a little bit better, and you build a relationship. You're working and striving to build a relationship with the intent that you present the gospel. There's that approach as well. And then there's this this approach that we're going to be talking about. Bible study is one way to bring people from darkness to light. All right, and, and, and why you know, it why did I like why had I never really most of my life I never really thought about Bible study as a as a place or an environment for the lost. Like it was a place that I went to to be with other Christians and get strengthened. How come I had never figured this out? And and I'll talk about this more tomorrow, but I I felt like I stumbled upon it by accident. Um, Because listen, this is what the word of God says of itself. And and Dan quoted this early on in his message. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So in other words, um, you know, I might have theoretically always thought as, an, as I was evangelizing that I was using God's word to do it. I, I should know Romans road and I should be prepared at any given moment to be able to open the Bible and, and, to, and to explain why Jesus Christ is the answer for any person's life. I should be able to do that. But it makes so much more sense that I would invite the lost into a relationship built around the Word of God so that it could do its exacting work day by day, week by week, until that person is converted. I always really liked this saying, okay? And it makes so much sense to me. It's so pragmatic. But you keep people the way that you win them. Right? You keep people the way that you win them. In other words, do you want to win people who are going to be obsessed with God's word, do you want to win people that are, from the very beginning, they recognize that the authority is God's word, nothing else? They're not tied to you as, like, as the authority. They're tied to the book as the authority. right? Do you want to win those types of people? Because in confrontational evangelism, as good as it is, every time you share the gospel with someone, you pose the risk of losing track of that person as easily as you received them in the first place. Every time you meet that guy on the plane and share the gospel with him, you have the, you pose the p- potential of losing track of that person just as quickly as they entered into their, your life. They, they, they walk away from your life just as easy. It's kind of transient that way. The relationship is precarious, and so the potential for discipleship is also precarious. But see, entering into a Bible study relationship with the lost person establishes a relational obligation. That promotes a more sure possibility of future discipleship. Because you've already basically started discipleship to begin with. You're sitting down with someone who does not know who Christ is, and, and as you open God's word, bit by bit, they're getting it, and then they become obsessed, addicted. To what it says. They, they recognize that it's the authority. And so when they come to, to, to a moment of conversion and they make a decision and they profess Christ and they ask for forgiveness, well, the, the tendency of their life is just going to be to keep going. Because this is the way of salvation, but it's also the way of sanctification. And it's also the way of becoming a servant of Jesus Christ. It's the study of God's word. This is the way, right? And so So if if we're using God's word and we're using Bible study as a tool to evangelize, man, we're going to be, they're going to want that as they move forward in faith. And that's what we want in our disciples to begin with. Okay, so so in closing, this is, you know, Dan did a great job of sharing with us what the heart, right, what the character of Bible study should be. Okay? Now, tomorrow we're going to talk about the construct of a Bible study. And what I mean by that is the, the method, right? The method or the structure specifically uh, and the formation of that structure to let God's word convince the lost in and of itself. Let, let God's word be on display. Let his voice do, do, the, do all the talking and all of the convincing. Stepping out of the way, finding a structure and an approach to Bible study that puts God's word on display, puts his voice on display and lets him do all of the convincing So when they're done, they're not not saying to themselves, well, Dan didn't quite convince me tonight, right? They've got to put all of the onus on, on God's word, and they have to tell themselves, well, either God's word is convincing or it's not. They've got to own that. And so we're going to talk about a structure, a construct for Bible study that really promotes and allows God's word, even for the lost to be understood and clear, and that they have to make decisions based around that, and then... The third, the third lesson, the creation to Christ, uh, Christ portion, is going to be the curriculum. And what we're going to do is we're going to present to you a curriculum. Uh, and you can, you can you can use it alongside the methodology, alongside Discovery Bible Method, or not, right? Uh, but the creation to Christ approach is a curriculum for walking someone through the narrative of Scripture that, that begins with Genesis and brings a person uh, to, to the Gospels. And they have to confront the whole of the Bible and, let, and again, let it as a tool convince them of whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. Who he said he was in Genesis, as a matter of fact. And so just by way of testimony, we had a young man come to Christ. <laughs> uh, he sat down with someone to do, to do creation to Christ. And he accepted Christ in the, in the first two verses of Genesis. Like it made sense, just like this. It made sense. Okay, wow, that's great. Obviously, that's what we'd always want. That, but we we got another guy in our ministry that that sat down and did it through a discovery Bible study scenario. They were doing creation to Christ, and it took him six months. I'm not mad about that either, right? And uh, you're gonna you're gonna keep them the way that you win them. And so we want to put God's Word at the forefront of what we're doing, and we're going to show you how to do that over the next two sessions. Is that cool? I know you guys are wore out and probably hungry. Dan, thank you uh, for sharing today. Um, powerful. Um, we should all be considering that. And uh, let's, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll dismiss, and that'll give you guys a little bit of time before they start serving lunch. Thanks for being in here with us. Um, I know some of you in here have actually probably heard some of this stuff before, um, and, and some, maybe it's not quite clicked, and hopefully it will over the next day or two. It'll start clicking for you. Um, others of you, man, I, I want to say this. If I, I, As I look around the room, I'm trying to assess the type of people that are in here. There's a lot of people in this room that already have Bible studies uh, or desire to have Bible studies that are more evangelical than what they currently are. And I do believe, and, and hopefully through my own testimony, I can share with you, I do believe that what we're about to show you over the next two days is a, is a philosophy and approach to opening God's word that you it makes it so easy for the lost to discover Jesus. And um, man, I who wouldn't want a Bible study that's just, half of the group is just lost people just coming to see the glory of who Jesus Christ is? I mean, who doesn't want that, right? And uh, and so that's what we're hoping to promote um, this week. Cool? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for the privilege of, of talking about this. Um, your book is, it just deserves to be studied, and so we can, I mean, we could talk about that all day. You're what you wrote us, what you inspired, uh, it deserves to be considered and looked at uh, in the context of the Christian life. Lord, we should be we should be pouring God's word into one another. Bible study should be sharpening and accountable and uh, applicable and powerful, and, and and we want to do that, but not to the neglect of also sharing. The beauty of your word with the lost, which so often it's like an, I think it's an either-or proposition, and and I think we, I think we can have both. I think we can have, uh, this this accountability among the believers, but also an opportunity to invite the lost in, and so that they might know you, so they might discover you. We desire that, and so Lord, teach us how to do that and do that that better. Uh, Lord, we do want to win the lost. It it, the Great Commission requires us to go and to tell the lost about who you are. And Lord, I pray that we, would be, um, we wouldn't be so rigid that we can't learn new ways of, of, of sharing the truth of who you are with others. So help us with that. Provoke us. Use us. Use Dan and I. Help us to speak with clarity. I know we don't have enough time, Lord, so allow us to speak very clearly and succinctly. Uh, and Lord, allow every person in this room to be better for what we've we've done this week. We love you, and in, in Jesus' name, we ask that you bless our meal. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit LFFellowship.com. God bless.